Let's pick up with our Old Testament passage now in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verse 1. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars cut down, the Asherim broke down the high places, the altars throughout Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Then the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his own possession. Now, now what a beautiful truth there, brothers and sisters. The people showed the fruit of repentance. They showed the fruit of repentance. There was a change. And they didn't have to be followed up by spiritual leaders to do this. They just went out and did it. Verse 2. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of priests and of the Levites, division by division, each according to his service. And the priests and the Levites were burnt offerings and peace offerings to minister at the gates of the camp of the Lord and to give thanks and praise. The contribution from the king of his own possessions was for the burnt offering, the burnt offerings of the morning and evening, the burnt offerings for the Sabbath, the new moon, the appointed feast, as is written in the law of the Lord. And he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion to the priests in the Levites, that they might give themselves to the law of God. So here's the purpose of the tithe, that they might give themselves to the law of God. You, they were to bring the portion to the priest, which is the tithe, so that they could give themselves full time to the ministry. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people gave in abundance the first fruits of the grain, the wine, the oil, the honey, and all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. Now notice, tithing during the kings. This is a fruit of revival. And of the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in the tithe of the cattle and the sheep, the tithe of the dedicated things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God, and laid them in heaps. And they began to pile up the heaps and finish them in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and the people of Israel. And Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. Azariah, the chief priest who was in the house of Zadok, answered, Since they began to bring the contributions to the house of the Lord, we have eaten and have enough and have plenty left. For the Lord has blessed this people, and so we have this large amount left. So Hezekiah commanded them to prepare chambers in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. And they faithfully brought in the contributions, the tithes, and the dedicated things. Now, I just want you to notice a few things about this passage. Number one, and I'm sure I'll get yelled at for this, but there are people that go around and say that we do not tithe anymore because the people of Israel stopped tithing when the kings came into place because the tax of the king replaced the tithe. What a foolish, foolish doctrine. Here we have a king who receives the taxes of the people telling the people to bring the tithe and telling the people to bring the tithe to the storehouse. Now, in that time, they didn't have a storehouse in the temple. And so they had piles of excess. There was abundance in God's house so that the priests and the Levites could spend their time ministering. They had such an abundance, notice the heaps, the heaps, the heaps, that this is where Hezekiah built the storehouses. 
This is where the whole concept from Malachi, the storehouse, you know, you bring the tithes into the storehouse. These storehouses were set aside because God always expected his house to have plenty. Nowhere in the Bible do, do we see God's house living hand to mouth. The, the house of God lives out of its bodega. The house of God lives out of its storehouse. But it can only do that when the people of God bring the tithe and the offerings to the temple. They're not sending it wherever they want to go. They bring it to the temple where everything's handled properly, and that's the storehouse. So again, beautiful revival. And as a fruit, part of the fruit of revival was repentance and cleaning out the demon altars. Part of the fruit of revival was these people had not been tithing. They paid the taxes to the king, but they had not been tithing. And God's house was in disrepair. And the ministers were not, forgive me, they weren't even ministering. The, the priests and the Levites weren't even around the temple. But once the heaps came in, once the tithe and the offerings began to come in, the spiritual leaders could spend their full time ministering unto the Lord and ministering unto God's people. So when you hear people say, oh, we don't tithe today because, you know, we, we pay government taxes, just understand how, how foolish that little doctrine is. All right, let's take a step farther. Uh, verse 13. While Jael, Azariah, Naha, Ashiel, Jeremoth, Jezabad, Aliel, Ishmaqiah, Mahath, and Benaiah were overseers assisting Konahiah and Shemai his brother by the appointment of Hezekiah the king and Azariah the chief officer of the house of God. And Kor, the son of Imna the Levite, keeper of the east gates, was over the freewill offerings to God to apportion the contribution reserved for the Lord and the most holy offerings. Eden, Menamin, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amariah, and Shechaniah were faithfully assisting him in the cities of the priests to distribute the portions to their brothers, old and young alike, by division. So notice, all the tithe was brought to Jerusalem, and then from Jerusalem it was redistributed into the cities. into the cities of the Levites. But first it was brought to God's house. In the same way, we bring the tithe and the seed in, and then we take that money, and often, like right now, we're supporting some of the branch churches because they have no services. Verse 16, except those who enroll by genealogy, males from three years old and upwards, all who entered the house of the Lord as duty, of each day required for their service according to their offices and by divisions. Now, again, the ministry could function fully because the tithe and the contributions were brought. The enrollment of the priests was according to their father's houses, that of the Levites from 20 years old upwards was according to their offices by their divisions. They were enrolled with all their little children, their wives, their sons, their daughters, the whole assembly, for they were faithful in keeping themselves holy. Now, that's the responsibility of spiritual leaders. They were faithful in keeping themselves holy. And for the sons of Aaron, the priests who were in the fields of common land belonging to their cities, there were several men in the several cities who were designated by name to distribute the portions to every male among the priests and to everyone among the Levites who was enrolled. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. He did what was right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and 
he prospered. Now, brothers and sisters, just back up and get a hold of that verse. Everything he did for the house of God, everything he did in accordance with the law and commandments, everything he did seeking his God, he did with all his heart. Don't ever do something half-hearted. No half-hearted. No half-hearted. Never do things half-hearted. And notice what happens when you do things with all your heart. You prosper. After these things, these acts of faithfulness, that's beautiful. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. Now, he thought wrong, so I make a little note over here. He thought wrong. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and mighty men to stop the water springs that were outside the city. And they helped him. All right. So even though God's going to help, you still need a plan. Now, his plan was to stop up the water springs. Okay, there's no water for Sennacherib's army outside Jerusalem. A great many people were gathered. and They stopped up all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up the wall that was broken down and raised towers on it. And he also built another wall and strengthened the Milo in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. All right, his plan was to deprive water. His plan dealt with water. And his plan was also the walls and weapons. So just because God's going to help you doesn't mean that you don't make a plan. I mean, I, I watch people say, oh, God will help us. And well, what are you doing? Nothing, because God will help me. Well, but you need, to, you need to think about what you need to do. No, God will help me. Well, you know, Jesus did say, roll away the stone. Jesus raised the guy from the dead, but Jesus, Jesus could have just gone, no, and the stone would have rolled away. God never does 100% of a miracle. God does what he can do, which is the supernatural, and you and I do what we can do, which is the natural. He set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square of the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them, okay? Now, this is how you prepare for battle. This is how a leader prepares for battle. You don't just get the facilities ready. You get the people ready. You can't just get all the weapons and the shields and build up the towers and the walls and plug up the water. All of that needs to be done, but you also need to get the people ready. He spoke encouragingly to them. And he said, be strong, be courageous, do not be afraid, don't be dismayed before king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than are with him. <laughs> now you go, excuse me, he's counting on God. He's counting on God and his angels. There are more with us than are with him. With him is the arm of flesh, but with us 
is the Lord our God. Now, did you hear that? With him is the arm of flesh, but with us, that is a beautiful truth. With us is the Lord our God. And what is God going to do with us? He's going to help us, and he's going to help and to fight our battles. Now, there's two things God does. Two things God does. He helps us and fights our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah. All right, so a leader's words bring confidence. After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his forces, sent his servants to Jerusalem, to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all the people who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, On what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is, Hezekiah, is not Hezekiah misleading you, that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst? Excuse me, we blocked up your water jugs, guys. When he tells you the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria. <laughs> this guy tells people, Hezekiah, your king, is lying to you when he tells you to trust in God. That's a good way to get God's attention. Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places, his altars? No. He took away the demon high places and the demon altars. But see... Sennacherib didn't understand the difference. He didn't understand what Hezekiah was doing was pleasing God. And commanded Judah and Jerusalem, before one altar you shall worship, and on it you shall burn your sacrifices. He saw this as a bad thing. God saw this as a good thing. So the world never understands things of God. The world never understands the things of God. Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their hand, their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my father devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand? that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? Excuse me, uh, false gods, real God. <laughs> he is about to learn the difference between false gods and real gods. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion, and do not believe him. For no God of any nation has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? <laughs> Again, false gods, real God. And his servant still said more against the Lord and against his servant Hezekiah. And he wrote letters to cast contempt upon the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, Like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hands, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And they shouted it in a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall, to frighten and to terrify them in order that they might take the city. Now again, 
folks, you have to understand, people shout bad things to cause fear. They, they shouted all these things in a language everybody could understand to make them stop believing in God. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the people of the earth, which are the work of men's hands, okay? <laughs> False gods. False gods, real God. Then Hezekiah, the king, of Is the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, they prayed because of this. Response to people speaking against God, you pray. You don't go, you don't go debate with people. You don't go and present your apologetics to people. You pray. When people speak against God, you pray. And the Lord sent an angel. Now just notice one angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him and he died there with the sword. Now notice, God sent one angel. <laughs> Not the host of heaven. One angel and defeated this whole army. One angel. And you know what? It wouldn't surprise me that God sent a little angel. <laughs> so the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the, from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all of his enemies. And he provided for them. I like that. He provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord, to Jerusalem, and precious things to Hezekiah so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time onward. Now, would, would you look at that? People's response. The world's response. The world saw. The world saw the real God. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. Now, he did not make return according to the benefit done to him. Folks, be thankful. Now, this is a sermon in itself, and I won't even begin to get into all of it. But please let me encourage you, when, when God does a benefit to you, make a return. <laughs> Come and say thank you. Come and bow before. I love it when, when members come down. and We can't do it right now with this COVID-19 thing, but when our people would come down to the altar for prayer, I loved it when they came back and they would walk up to me and say, Pastor, God answered my prayer. My Lola is healed. Pastor, God answered my prayer. I'm healed. Pastor, God answered my prayer. I'm out of financial problems. Pastor, God answered my prayer. I got my promotion. 
They come, and I say, well, how can I pray for you? Pastor, I just came to say thank you. Always have a heart of gratitude for what God has done for you. You see, it's pride that makes you ungrateful. You know, there's a, a thing that I've noticed in people's lives, and I, I, I've learned it very slowly and very painfully. Have you ever noticed the people you help the most hurt you the most? They turn on you the most? Have you ever noticed that? And I, I'll tell you what it is. When people are not thankful, there's pride in their hearts. And that pride, everything you do for them makes them resent you more. Everything you do for them makes them more bitter against you. You need to go meditate on that one for a while. But Hezekiah humbled himself from the pride of his heart. Good man. Okay, you really screwed up, but then you humble yourself. Some of you, please forgive me. You've been proud. Humble yourself. Okay? God is a merciful God. But Hezekiah humbled himself with the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had very great riches and honor. He made for himself treasuries of silver, for gold, for precious stones, spices, shields, and for all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. Likewise, he provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. Now notice, God is the source. God had given him, just like God gives to you and God gives to me. This same Hezekiah closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gihon and redirected them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land. All right. Everybody wants to hear. <laughs> Everybody wants to hear. Everybody wants to hear that sign of a Sennacherib. God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Now, we know the story from the other passages. He got proud and he showed everything he had to these princes of Babylon, and that brought an attack. He got proud again. But notice the phrase, God left him to himself in order to test him. You know, I've, I've watched God do this in my own life. I've watched God do this in other people's lives. Sometimes God just backs up a little bit and says, now, let's see what's really in your heart. Now, I, I love to be led by the Spirit. But, you know, there are times that God leaves us to ourselves in order to test us, to know all that is in our hearts. Now, he already knows what's in our hearts. But in the test, we see what's in our hearts. Now, let me explain to you the test this way. Have you ever taken a class and you thought, I've got this material down solid? I can remember walking into a statistical analysis class my first year in university. And I thought I had that material down pat. Well, when I took the first practice exam, because, you know, we were first-year students and he gave us a practice exam before this was our first exam of the school year. He said, where are we going to have a practice? You know what? I would have gotten a C on that thing. I would not have prepared for the final exam. 
I would not have prepared for midterms. I would have thought, I got this down pat. That's called pride. And I would have messed up the class and lost my, my, my grade point average. But in that test, I got to see what I really was like. I got to see what I really knew. Sometimes God backs up a little bit to test us. He knows what's in our heart, but sometimes in our pride, we overestimate ourselves, and we need to see what's in our heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah, the prophet of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper part of the tombs of the sons of David, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. He's our rescuer, he's our rescuer, we are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound, oh, how grace abounds, we will praise the Lord, our rescuer. There is good news for the captive, good news for the shame. There is good news for the one who walked away. There is good news for the doubter, the one religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. He's our rescuer. He's our rescuer. We are free from sin forever.
Our New Testament passage today begins in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Very familiar passage. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. Now notice every person. That means the rich. That means the poor. Sometimes rich people, people say, well, they don't have to obey the law because they're rich. And sometimes people say, poor people don't need to obey the law because they're poor. So only the middle class have to obey the law. No, every person. Pastors have to obey the law. Priests have to obey the law. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Now, you may not like it, but from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, again, you may not like the president. You may not have voted for the president. But for 40 years, you've heard me say, whoever is the president, we are submissive to governing authorities. And that's my responsibility as your pastor to teach you to be that way, to have a submissive heart to governing authorities. When it was Marcos, when it was Corey, when it was Estrada, when it was Gloria. I mean, please, it doesn't matter who sits in the office. We are to be submissive to governing authorities. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Again, you may not like that, but you know what? That's just as valid a verse as John 3.16. And those who resist will incur judgment. So again, you start fighting back with the government and you will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Okay? Hey, listen, as long as you're having good conduct, you know, you don't need to be afraid of them, only if you're doing bad things. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. You know, if you want the mayor to be happy with you, if you want the president to be happy with you, if you want the Congress and Senate to be happy with you, pastors, do what is good, and you'll receive their approval. Too often, I find pastors wanting to live at war with the government. This is not a competition thing. They are servants of God, just like as pastors and priests, we are servants of God. And we don't need to live in conflict with these people. Do what is good, and you will receive their approval. For he is God's servant for your good. All right, so the purpose of the government is for our good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Youch. Now, there's verses we don't really like, but... That's exactly what God says. The government is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoers. Wow. Now again, you may not like that verse, but that's just as valid as John 3.16. Therefore, one must be in subjection, submissive attitude, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience, so that our conscience is clear, and because we don't want wrath, we have to have a submissive heart toward the governing authorities. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom what revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. All right, so when we look at the government officials, we should pay our taxes. We should pay the revenues, the fees and dues, etc. We should give respect to the government, not trash them every day on Facebook. I mean, please. I know people are frustrated right now because of this COVID-19. Please. All of us are frustrated. 
Beloved, please, all of us are frustrated. There is no human being in the world right now that is not frustrated, okay? But you know what? We still need to show respect. We still need to show respect to our government authorities. Honor, to whom honor is owed. We should give honor to these people. I mean, they, they're, they're servants of God. Pastors, come on. They're servants of God just like we are. So let's, let's sow some honor. Now he continues. Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Now, question mark. Does this does not mean debt is a sin. Now notice the word owe. It's not a sin to be in debt. You go to a, well, I guess we don't go to restaurants, but let me use the illustration. If you go to a restaurant and eat a meal, you are in debt because you ate the meal and then you pay the bill. When you go to the gas station and fill up your gas tank, you are in debt because you fill up the gas tank and then you pay the bill. You, I like another translation that says, leave no debt outstanding. In other words, everything that's due, you pay. So it's not a sin to be in debt. It's a sin not to pay your debts. The commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, all right? This is the same as Jesus' teaching. Now, if we weren't here today, and you weren't with me, I would quickly look up in my Bible where Jesus taught it, and I'd write the reference there in the column. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. You fulfill the law when you walk in love. But this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Okay, so salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. So this is not referring to being born again. This is referring to the rapture. The rapture is closer now than it was before. She said, wake up from your sleep. Now, this is a great study. Sleeping Christians. And there's so much the Bible teaches about waking up from your slumber. There are so many sleepy Christians. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light. And notice the works of darkness. These are actions. And this is armor. This is protection. Now notice the difference. He said, listen, th there's no protection from darkness. There's actions of darkness, but the darkness brings no protection. Light brings protection. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, and jealousies. Now that covers just about all of it. The Romans were famous for their orgies. Big rooms of people all naked and having sex together with multiple partners all at the same time. That's kind of nasty, but the Romans loved orgies. Drunkenness. Well, Pastor Summerall, I drink, but I don't get drunk. You drink one large glass of wine, and you are over the legal limit. You drink one shot of alcohol, and you are over the legal limit. The second you feel the buzz, the second it has altered your... So, social lubricant feelings, 
forgive me, you have already been in a state of drunkenness. So when people want to play semantics with me, I don't play. Not in sexual immorality. You don't have sex with your girlfriend before you get married or your boyfriend before you get married. He said, properly, as in the daytime. You, you don't live like this, okay? In sensuality, you don't go around putting your hands where things don't belong, okay? Not in quarreling. You don't go around fighting with people all the time. And jealousy, you don't go around being jealous of people all the time. He said, now, now these are things that this is not proper living, not proper living. He said, let's live properly, okay? These things are not proper. Orgies are not proper. Drunkenness is not proper. Sexual immorality is not proper. Sensuality is not proper. Quarreling is not proper. Jealousy is not proper. And put on the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so here's two things we are to put on. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You put on Jesus like clothes. You put on the armor of light like clothes. And again, I, I had to be careful. I get to preaching on this. But now th this is extremely important. Make no provision for the flesh. Now, what do we mean by make no provision? Don't give any opportunity for it. Just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to create an opportunity for that in my life. So to be very blunt, there are places I don't go because I don't want to make any provision for that. There are things I just close my eyes and I don't want to see because I don't want to make any provision for that in my life. You have to learn what you bring into yourself is what you are. Like right now I'm to because during the lockdown, <clears throat> I ate too much ice cream. <laughs> I would say, sweetheart, I'd tell Shasha when she would bring us food during that first three months and we couldn't go out, Shasha, can you bring some ice cream? Shasha, can you bring some ice cream? Shasha, can you bring some? I am what I ate, so I have to lose weight now. But spiritually, we are also what we eat. If we make provision for the flesh, if we, if we make sure that we create opportunities in our for the flesh to see things that we should not see and to do things that we should not do and to be around those things just because we, we, we want to get close but we, we, we don't want to touch it but we want to get close. No, no, you stay away from that stuff. All right, one more passage today, a little bit of wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter six. <laughs> and this is all about laziness. You know, I hear people writing books about the four-hour work week and how you can make money and never have to work hard. And, you know, it, it just doesn't go like that. He said, go to the ant, oh sluggard, means lazy person. Consider her ways and be wise, all right? So you have to think about what you see to gain wisdom. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. All right? So, self-motivated. Without anybody to boss them around every day and tell them what to do, look at the ant. They just go to work. How long will you lie there, O oh lazy sluggard? 
How long, when will you arise from your sleep? You can always tell a lazy person because they sleep a lot. You know, you can always tell a lazy person because on Sunday morning, rather than being in church, some pastors are still sleeping. Okay. When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Ah, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed bandit. All right, so we have a cause and effect relationship. Laziness is a root cause of poverty. Now, straight up talk. You're not going to break out of poverty just by an education. You, you can have educated, lazy people, and they're still poor. I've met people in my life that have doctorate degrees, and they're poor. Laziness is a cause of poverty. I've met uneducated people, third, fourth grade educations, that are very prosperous people. Education or lack of education. Now, please, young people, you should all do your studies. Please don't, don't take what I'm saying and say, oh, I don't need to go to college anymore. Please finish your studies. But understand, you can be a lazy, super smart person with an IQ of 160, okay? You could be super brainy, like top off the charts, but lazy, and you'll never get anywhere. Your poverty will come upon you. You've got to understand, come upon you. Laziness attracts poverty. Like you've often heard me say, faith attracts God, fear attracts Satan. Laziness attracts poverty to your life. It, it, it sources poverty coming to your life. Want will come like an armed man. Now notice an armed man steals what you have. Lazy people will even lose the little they have. Want will come like an armed man, stealing what you have. If I could encourage you in one thing to get ahead, you know, I am a prosperity preacher and unashamedly so, but I'm not an avarice preacher or a greed preacher. I'm a, a prosperity preacher. God meets our needs and an abundance left over for every good work. But you have to understand, if there's one single truth of prosperity that might even be more important than sowing and reaping, it would be hard work. You're, you, you can sow all the seed you want, but if your laziness is attracting poverty, if your laziness is bringing want like an armed man, then everything God gives you is taken away. You have to learn hard work. There are many pastors I met in my life that are poor. And it's not poor because they can't preach. And it's not poor because they're not good preachers. They're, they're poor because they're lazy. They always want something for nothing. I've met businessmen that are tremendous businessmen, but they're always poor because they're lazy. But I've met other people. You know what? They're not so good, but they're prosperous because they're hard workers. Ah, let's be hard workers in Jesus' name. By the grace of God. Let's be hard workers. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock.